A hay settled in front of Henry Tandy on September 29, 1918. Out of the smoke, he saw an injured and unarmed German soldier. He was ready to face death and seemed to accept it when Henry lowered his gun and let him go never to be seen again. That man was Adolf Hitler. And you're listening to Casual History. Welcome back to Casual History. We are back. Uh, my name is Jeffrey. Jacob is my brother. Um, he's across from me, virtually. Across the internet. Across the internet. Um, and we are back. How does it feel, Jake? It, it feels good. It feels good. I'm excited to get back to sharing more stories. Uh, we were just talking off the pod about that. About uh, We're just happy to get back into the swing of things. Sorry we've been gone, everybody. <laughs> yep. We're excited to be back. A lot has changed. Um, personally, I think for both of us in that time, but yeah, you know, man. one thing that hasn't changed, Jacob, what my love for history. <laughs> now you're just pandering. Yeah. Now you you're like that. Now you're just bullshitting for the podcast. That I don't was like really that. good. I thought I was waiting. I was saving <laughs> I that. Don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that too much. <laughs> well, uh, we have the same, the same idea goes for these next few episodes for those who That's are right. new. Um, we are casual lovers of history. <laughs> we love uh, <laughs> stories, interesting stories, and interesting Only people. Only casually, though. Um, Only and so casually. what we try to do is we try to do dives on the subject matter, um, pull out the stories, the information, regurgitate them, and try to... Learn something. Learn you know? something ourselves, and hopefully maybe you guys can, too. Because what's, what's the saying, Jeffrey? What's the, those that don't learn history are doomed to repeat it? Is that is that the actual saying? I think so. We're, we're part of the uh, the people that are front-running that idea to, to hopefully change society, right? That's what this podcast right? does. Yeah, no, we're, we're we changing don't. the world. <laughs> no. We're what just, are you talking about? We just this, have is a, this is a history movement, Jeffrey. Yeah, <laughs> this is not just go. a podcast. That would be something, wouldn't it? That would be something. I can't even imagine that. Um, but yeah, I've got a podcast here for you, Jeffrey, um, that I'm actually very, very excited about. Um, hope so. I wrote this a while ago. Yeah. I'm excited to share with you. There's a bunch of twists and turns. Um, and I hope to give you a really good description and kind of like a detailed firsthand account of some of this stuff. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. I'm, I'm open. I'm ready. I'm ready to learn, ready to discuss some history. What are we getting into? Okay. So I have starting this new podcast with um, Henry Tandy and Almost Destiny is the name of it. Henry Tandy. Yes, a man named Henry Tandy. Sounds like Um, a pirate. Are we going to the pirate land? We are not. We are not, but just as badass. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) uh, Is actually a soldier uh, with a very, very interesting story uh, to tell. But Henry Tandy was born on August 30th, 1891 in Leamington Spa, in Warwickshire in the United Kingdom. So, mm. United Kingdom, so you know. UK, 1891. You know what I was thinking about? Not to jump what? right off the bat into a side tangent. This is what like this is about. <laughs> this is what this is about. Go 1990. For it. it was 32 years ago. <sighs> Stop it. I just think well, about that now. So, when we're saying 1891, that's 131 you, years ago. Jesus. Is it um, to the point where my birthday could be talked about on this podcast? Up to you, friend. <laughs> 32 years ago. It's yeah. history. It's considered. Yeah. Jacob's um, the old man out of the two, for those oh who God. haven't picked up on that already. 
Yeah. Jacob's the old man. Where are my 90s kids at? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But Henry, but Henry Tandy. <laughs> Henry Tandy, yes. Son of James Tandy and Catherine Tandy, um, who had gotten married on the 5th of January, 1891, in case you wanted to know where they got married, mm. um, and Leamington Priors. I have not heard of any of these places. <laughs> if you're from sure across they're amazing. the pond, they, we have a few listeners from the UK, like quite a few. Um, when I look at our analytics from the last few that we've done, of quite yeah. a bit from uh, over the pond. So, well, um, let, let us know. Let us know if that's a cool vacation place. If so we that we, we can go, we should we visit. Should visit. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but James Tandy was a well-known figure around Leamington Spa, uh, who was treated with caution by others due to his really bad temper. Sounds like a great guy, and Sounds in like particular. Me. His dis- tendency to fight following a drinking session uh, that's also me. sounds like you, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, <laughs> so far, I'm just telling a story about Jeffrey. Yeah, um, so far. Yeah. <laughs> it was rumored reincarnated. <laughs> it was rumored that this young man, as a young man, he received a kick to the head from a horse, and mm. that had weird effects on his character and personality. Yes, what a dad! Wow, um, <laughs> that's no uh, joke, man. That is Getting no joke. A horse is no joke. Have you ever been around a horse like in a Dude, scary situation? Such where respect. Been kicked? But uh, yeah, I've gotten stepped on a horse by a horse. Well, yeah, I don't know how man. you phrase that. I've been stepped on. A horse has stepped on me. There we go. There you um, go. A, f- <laughs> a few times on my feet, and it's left me black and blue. So it's that, no joke. That is one of those things that it's very interesting because, like, in in theory, horses. Or like to me, like just speaking about horses, they're not intimidating until you're standing face to face with a creature that's like three times your size. Yeah. And <laughs> and you're just like complete respect. I find myself anytime I'm around a horse, I'm just like, oh my God, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So you can do anything you want. H- right Henry now. Tandy got kicked by a horse, correct? Or is that his father? No, his his father did. His father did. Okay. So <laughs> we're describing his father. So a mean drunk who is known around town for fighting people. Uh, what he drank too much and he got mm. kicked in the head from a horse that had weird effects on his character and personality. Yeah. Um, if you know if that was the truth, I guess that was a wild story that was told around town, but he was certainly not a man to get on the bad side of and his reputation kind of followed him wherever he went from mm. there on. Um, yeah. And then we have Catherine, who's the mother, uh, whose family originally came from Ireland. Shout out. Irish, um, <laughs> potato family, um, <laughs> potato <What>? family. <laughs> That's our crest family. Crest. That is our crest. It's just a potato, <laughs> just a potato. <laughs> on a shield. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I need to make that. Um, <laughs> That's t-shirts. But yes, they came. She came from Ireland. Um, and it was to be cause. It was the cause of a major fallout between James Tandy and his father. Um, apparently, didn't like Irish people. The Tandys were a rich family. Why do you marry one? And his father considered that James was marrying beneath him. Hmm. Um, his fallout ended up resulting in James disowning his father and changing his family name to Tandy. The same name, but he took out the E at oh, the end okay. of Tandy. Okay. So just despite his father, take away the E, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it took some ownership of the name. Right, exactly. Um, but Catherine was also pregnant with Henry at the time of the marriage. And the fact that she was only 15 when she married James and not 18, as stated on the marriage certificate, would have added to the family tension that boiled Yikes. over. Yeah. So, again, it, it doesn't sound like the greatest pairing. Start. doesn't sound like the greatest start here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's good to have a little backstory on his family and kind of what led him to do what he is going to do. Um, Henry's father was a military man. 
and was a well-known stonemason. Um, his father's war stories grow up, growing up almost certainly pushed him to pursue military life, as well as his two brothers, um, mm-hmm. James and Samuel, who would also serve in the Great War. Wow. So we're leading up to World War I, Jeffrey. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and at the age of five, Henry became a student at St. Peter's School for Boys, and he remained there until 1905, when the school's leaving age was 14. Yeah. So he would have been 14, yeah, 1891, gotcha. Yes, Henry was a fast learner and liked at his school, but it also taught him discipline and punishment as they used a cane. So old school punishment for schools. Um, old, school, uh, old school school punishment was no joke. <laughs> it, it isn't a joke. Did you ever uh, go on one of those, um, va- not vacations, I was about to say that, I don't know why I said that word. Um, <laughs> on a vacation? Field trips to uh, one of the old school, like, tra- um like I remember when I was about like I think twelve, we went to an old school school. That's such a funny yes. way to phrase. But they would talk about the discipline that you would endure, <laughs> standing yes. in the corner, standing on a bo- shoebox or not shoebox, a crate, or getting slapped with a um, a ruler. Dude, you know, capital punishment was, was even more real. <laughs> and guilt <that> was <laughs> used like you had to wear a hat in front of your friends. Imagine getting That's in right. trouble. That's right. And you dunce, sat right. Yeah, it was a dunce cap. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nuts. And then like getting slapped by rulers and stuff. I mean, you hear all the stories. But yeah, we definitely went I definitely went on that field trip. Uh let us know if you guys went on that field trip as Have well. Have you ever been like paddled growing up in school? Uh, no. You know that used to be a thing. I know that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. But you I know used I'm old, to have to sign no. off where you could get paddled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think I don't think there was ever an instance where that happened to me <laughs> or I went yeah. to a school that, that was allowed. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, like, I may be old, but I'm not that old. I just you know? was curious. <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate the I appreciate the question though. <laughs> so he's in school. He learned discipline as most do. Okay, right? Yeah, and it wasn't um, just for misbehavior either. It was also used if a kid came in late, came to school dirty. You could just get whipped for wow. coming to school dirty, or if you were unable to do a math problem, which I would have been been beaten black and blue <laughs> at this so time. You to be been quite for, honest, I would have been for coming in dirty. You know. Yeah, true, true, (laughs) true. Um, But this discipline he experienced helped him when he later joined the army that had a similar approach to discipline and conformity. So that makes sense. You know, Mm. it kind of led him down this path um, to join the army. So five years later in 1910, what did Henry do? He's 19, so he joined the war. He joined the army. (laughs) Wait, what, what year is it? 1910? 1910. Okay, yeah. Yes. Uh, in the five years prior, his dad was noticeably absent, fighting in the army himself. Um, Henry and Catherine had to basically fend for themselves, and Henry had to step up as the man of the house at a very young age. Yeah. So to kind of set up his family life there. Um, there are also records that Henry being at an orphanage for a short time, but the true circumstances aren't known. There was I read some article about um, that there's a rumor, there's no official paperwork for it. But there also used to be workhouses. So, like, I mean, I think it was like, I think it was like for young kids, like until like 16, 17, it was like indentured work for people. But I think it was considered like a um, a not great thing to be talked about. I just just brought it up just as a definition for us as well. It says, workhouse was a total institution where those unable to support themselves financially Mm -hmm. were offered accommodation and employment. Some poor law authorities 
hope to run workhouses at a profit by utilizing the free labor of their inmates. Um, yes. In Britain. Yeah. So yep. interesting. Okay. So uh, there is speculation that he joined one of those, but instead um, to account for those missing years, he they kind of created the story that he went to an orphanage instead because that somehow was better looking. Right. Right. Than being so destitute that he would have to do that. Right. And join a house. Thing, I assume. Okay. So that's still kind of on the rocks. Um, there's not a lot of paperwork on it, but I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, which I had never heard of workhouses and stuff like that before. Sounds but like it a makes hard life. Sounds like Very a hard, hard life, life already. So. Um, but yeah, so in August 1910, Henry joined the army with ideas of adventure and travel, possibly fueled by the tales of his father's service, but also an escape from a backbreaking job and a horrible family situation. Hmm. So he really didn't have a choice in the matter. It makes sense. Yeah, you know, if you're going to be able there. to travel and go places and get out of your situation, this would be the way to do it. Right. Um, and he was also quickly uh, put into a regiment officially known as the Green Howards. And that's kind of where his story starts. Um, next, I was going to get into, which is very interesting, is we actually have some excerpts from him telling stories, like little um, little stories of the battles he fought yeah. and stuff. Obviously, I won't go crazy into his full military history, but he was in the military for a very long time, um, experienced some crazy, crazy things. Yeah, I'm um, into that. Yeah, let's go. So you got some stories from, or like uh, yeah, diary I have some entries, actual, I assume? Yes. He, uh, there's no diary entry. He was, I actually have a paper excerpt i guess someone interviewed him for the paper mm. and he has little columns that he talks about as well as um have written documentation from other people about some of the battles that for sure he was in oh that's cool um yeah so all right so to start off just to get a picture of what henry looked like henry only weighed 119 pounds and was five foot five so a very small small guy um the limit i guess at the time was five foot three um you couldn't be shorter than that to join the army that means you're and out jake yeah i know that means i'm out <laughs> and <laughs> we're really painting the picture with the listener right now man yeah making me Old look like man, danny devito under over five here. three <laughs> <laughs> and is and in his time he was known as an upstanding young man who instilled confidence in the people around him so that's an actual quote from some of his peers mm. um qualities that would become apparent later in his life um Henry and his battalion were at uh, Petit Kuisk on October 15, 1910 for the battle's opening shots and a successful skirmish fought on the Brudenside Ridge from the 19th to 21st of August, hmm. um, which not only held up but also inflicted heavy casualties on the Germans. Um, this division later then stayed in the Yerpres, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, but here is where the first column comes into play. So Henry, in a feature column of the newspaper, wrote, um, We had no trenches. We were lying in shallow holes scooped out of sand, often a hundred years apart, a hundred, sorry, a hundred yards apart, with no way of getting back. The nearest rations had been dumped a mile and a half behind us, and the only way of getting them was to crawl up the ditch. And then when we were thirsty, we, like... It says, we stretched out our handkerchiefs over the mud in the corner of the trench and sucked. So that's how they got water. Yikes. So you're talking brutal, brutal conditions. Yeah. Um, World War One was no joke. I mean, obviously, any war is no joke, but um, that's something I've yet to really dive into, dive into. Again, there's a lot of um, documentaries on World War Two, 
yeah. at least for what I've seen anyway. Maybe there's some good ones on World War One, um, but I have a bit more information on World War Two. Like there's a lot more. It feels like resources for me quickly yeah. to kind of you know watch or see or understand. Um, but World War One, anytime it's ever been brought up, and I've seen a story or I've read a seen a video about it, it just seems like a really brutal. Um, brutal moment like even world war ii obviously is brutal right and there's oh, horrific yeah. things yeah, yeah. but there's a, there's a different element i feel like in world war one as well um obviously just with the time and the technology at the time so um that sounds really really hard yeah and i believe <laughs> I this was the imagine. start of trench warfare in general like th- yeah. it really wasn't a thing before this huh. so this was kind of introduced in world war one was the idea of building out trenches and yeah. waiting for the enemy line to come up um, right. which terrifying again it reminds me <laughs> of a bunch of movies and stuff like that like images come to mind but i can only imagine what it'd be like experiencing that well there's that movie um that i've seen recently 1917 obviously that's yeah. a, a um you know it's a grandiose it's a movie right yes but of course. It, to be able to see something like that on screen it brings it um i feel like that always translates and really makes it hit home Uh, Because talking about it, seeing images change can kind of put the the situation behind a piece of glass, you know? Not that movies don't, obviously, but it feels a bit more grippable, you know? It feels more uh, tangible when you see something moving, like there's a story behind it and you see the environment. Um, I think they did a really good job about that. Um, Again, it kind of puts you in that, that moment, which is cool, so... Also, not to like jump onto a tangent there, but yeah, there is actually like science built into um, how people are restoring old war footage from World War II and stuff like that and colorizing them. Yeah. How we as humans and how our brains attach to reality um, in black and white, it's way easier to disassociate those exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. not see them as people and see them as a full on screen. But as yeah. soon as you add color to them, it's like adding a depth of like, oh, I could put myself in that person's shoes. Empathy, you know? It's crazy how much that affects it, but just having, yeah, like all color injected and like people doing that with AI and different stuff like that is pretty incredible. And just, I mean, these wars were not all war is brutal, but man, like you're talking about like bare bones Mm -hmm. um, warfare right here. And so, so he, he was on the, some of the first line or on the front lines of some of the first shots being fired. Yes. Um, and he, in the trenches, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was actually an excerpt from him in a feature column of the newspaper. Wow. Um, so that's actually from his, his words. Um, Henry and his co- comrades had no idea of the situation that faced them. But over the succeeding hours, as more and more troops retreated through their lines, the seriousness became apparent. So this is still continuing on the same um, battle Yeah. that he was talking about. Um, here's another quote. It says... It was touch and go for four days. They were attacking all the time, and our barbed wire um, raided from the farm fences and were fitted with tin cans containing pebbles to act as alarm signals. It wasn't much protection. Hmm. So just to like let them know of any sound, because I'm right. imagining, too, you would have to like sleep in those trenches in the dirt, mm-hmm. no matter what the conditions were. Um, The second day of fighting saw the Germans move a field gun into the ridge in front of the Green Hordes, which is the name of their group as well. Um, Henry and the others had improvised some shelter using doors, shelves, and shutters from the buildings around them. Um, 
The Germans, though, were intent on shelling the buildings, some of which contained dressing stations and still had wounded soldiers inside them. Wow. Uh, yeah, so horrifying. Um, Henry also takes up his story saying, squirming out of our trenches, we started to crawl forward. There was no cover to speak of. You just had to take a chance whether they got you. Um, as it happened, we were very lucky and we managed to get all the wounded back out without a casualty. Damn. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty insane. All of this, uh, when I read this, um, so there are no surviving letters or diaries where Henry is concerned, um, past this point. But if there were, um, it'd be no surprise to read that his complaints about having to endure like long marches and boots, Right. Um, that were unsuitable for marching on cobbled or other hard road surfaces were there. Um, the other conditions, just to understand, um, the other conditions facing Henry included like dust, thirst, heat, and the variable road surfaces, depending on the time of year. Um, soldiers would have found little to drink as they marched, as drinking from their water bottles was treated as an offense and would mm. be punished. Mm. Um, so, So this man... It, we're le- we're leading up to something, but I'm not sure what we are. So, because I'm trying to I'm trying to follow. Okay, so he's a hard man. You know, he's been through the ringer. Yeah. Um, he grew up in a hard life. Started his life early early twenties, nineteen twenties, in a war. Like hard man. Yes. Okay. I Seen believe. Some shit. I believe by the end of this, um, man. Like when does he when does he get out? I'm gonna double check myself, but like he was in this war for like a like close to 10 years if not 10 years yeah so like i'm trying to just describe um what he would experience over years of time this is just one battle right uh that i found that had excerpts and actual quotes of like conditions mm. imagine yeah like the kind of person you'd be after 10 years of this yeah uh, I, fighting I, like, like this again you you turn i would imagine it's hard not to turn calloused in a lot of ways so yes where we sure. go? Where, where? What does he? Do? What does he do? Like what happens? Right. That's what I'm getting to. So, this was suddenly the war that Henry found himself in, although he did not know it at the time. These were the conditions in which he would have to exist for for the coming four years. Hmm. So, after suffering multiple injuries throughout the years and countless battles, Henry finally came face to face with the decision in 1918 that would haunt him for the rest of his life. Here we go. Here we go. And this is where we're going to break. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. I knew we were leading to something. I knew I could feel it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Hard, hard, hard-nosed man. Um, That's right. Has a, a, a big decision ahead of him or something happened that would haunt him and or change history because that's what that's this right. whole story this whole podcast is about so i'm interested <laughs> in following this up let's hit the ads right. real quick and then we'll come back to it let's do it and we're back yep <laughs> back after that did you did you like that cliffhanger jeffrey were you, yeah, it was were you great. a fan of that it was a good good setup um that's i could good. feel the tension in the podcast you know i could <laughs> feel the it, i had myself questioning i was questioning the story i started to go okay yeah. He's obviously listen. Anybody in World War War One, World War Two, right? There's interesting. It's it's a, it's a piece of history. Yes. But I knew there had to be some sort of yeah. grandiosity or some sort of um, a reason why he became famous. The yeah, reason why, why we're why having this known? podcast because otherwise he's another hard man in a line of hard men who had to fight that war and women who had to fight that war. Right. So right. I'm just curious um, where we're heading. So I like All that. Right. I liked it. Well. Um, I won't make you wait too much longer. 
now we're going to get into the reason why there's even a podcast right now of Henry Tandy, which brought me to him. Hmm. Um, so Henry was about to face a monument, a moment of destiny that would follow him to the grave. So on uh, the 28th of September of 1918, during the taking of the crossing over the canal of uh, de St. Quentin in Morocco, um, under intensely heavy fire, Henry crawled forward into the village when his platoon was held up by enemy machine gun. Hmm. So I'm going to tell you about this famous battle that he was in. This is the reason why Henry's famous. Gotcha. Um, Henry quickly gathered his men and began searching out for where this gun had been set. Um, after a few moments of gunfire ceased, he scanned the surrounding buildings and sure enough to his left at a nearby house over a canal into the city, he saw a glint of where the gun was set. Henry then had to position his comrades and friends with guns in the right area where they were able to knock out the machine gun out of action. Um, when they pushed forward into the canal to lead them into the city where those German shoulders were shooting them from, uh, they realized that the bridge had been damaged. Um, the planks to get them across had been blown off or damaged enough where he knew their weight would not hold. It was the only way to get into the city. So what did Henry do? He did the only thing he could think to do. He told his men to cover him, and he crawled on his hands and knees amongst gunfire and grenades and pulled wooden planks across where it was missing on the bridge. He continued to do this until all the gaps were filled enough for his men to cross the bridge relatively safely. He built a bridge? <laughs> <laughs> he did. He built, under, under fire. He built a fucking bridge under gunfire. <laughs> wow, I couldn't do that without gunfire. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He was just dragging planks along enough to like cross right. the bridge so yeah, people could yeah. get across. Um, so after that, they had captured the canal successfully. Then later that evening, he and eight comrades were s- surrounded in an overwhelming number of soldiers. Tandy decided that this wasn't how he was going to end. So he yelled at his men and led a bayonet charge right at the German soldiers, fighting so fiercely that 37 of the enemy were driven into the hands of the remaining of his company. Hmm. Although he was twice wounded, Tandy refused to leave until the fight was won. Um, so he's a kind of he's kind of a hero. It's not just a hard man. It sounds like he's a, oh, yeah. well, a hero as in, you know, he some valiant valiant uh engagements. It it seems like he's spearheading the the charge here. Yes, he definitely is. Um as the battle began to wind down and the German soldiers uh soldiers were in retreat, Tandy was in a trench driving out the rest of them and a thick haze grew. This haze was from all the grenades and gunfire surrounding him as he leaned on the front of the trench. He had his gun up over the top of the dirt mound. Exhausted and badly wounded, he waited there until he realized he was alone. Then in the haze, in front of him, he started to see a silhouette appear. A weary soldier had wandered into Tandy's line of fire. Hmm. Not being able to make out the colors of the uniform in the smoke, he had his gun at the ready, though. Um, Slowly, the haze dissipated as the soldier stumbled closer. He could now see it was a German soldier, badly injured, limping closer to him, not realizing the danger he was in. Hmm. Um, The enemy soldier was wounded. It did not appear to have a weapon. Tandy waited in tension with his gun raised at the ready. The minutes dragged on until the soldier's eyes met Tandy's. He gave him a glassy look. And when the man saw that it was a British soldier and his eyes and his demeanor changed, he's ready to face death. 
and seemed to accept it while looking into Tandy's eyes, which is right. Wow, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, yeah, but in that moment, Henry lowered his weapon, and the German soldier saw him lower his rifle. Um, the German soldier saw him lower his right. rifle yeah. and nodded painfully in thanks as a gesture before wandering off, not to be seen again. Now, this man is a bad man. I already know it. Here's the twist. This man's a bad man. I already know it. The man that soldier, <laughs> that soldier that he just had that interaction with, yeah, would be revealed to be Lance Corporal Adolf Hitler. Of course, <laughs> he let Hitler oh, go. <laughs> of course, he did. So he was the God. man that didn't shoot Hitler. Wow. For the rest of his life till he died. Wow. Talk about that something haunting you forever. Think of the millions of lives. Like, seriously, like the millions of lives held in the balance of one interaction alone between you two. And he, unarmed, was wounded. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, I just, it blows my mind. The fact that they can pinpoint that is wild. How did they? Yeah. I'm I'm so, I'm flabbergasted more at the fact that, um, again, how, how, how long did this guy live after? I'm assuming he lived through World War II. Tandy, okay, hey, let me look yeah. this up. Yeah, he, we'll he was that. lived until 1977. It shows. Yeah, Henry Tandy. Wow. So yeah, so he experienced full on. I just was curious again whether this was like a, a moment, and then I don't know. He, he's a soldier. I didn't know what the, yeah. his end would be if if he lived through everything or if he ended up dying himself. But right. the fact that he lived through all that, yeah, that's insane. So that battle itself. He won multiple awards. I believe he was the most decorated soldier in, in World, World War One. Yeah, he was the most decorated, amazing, amazing leader. But to to have your service boiled down to this one moment interaction you had on a battle after years, and like I just think of just it's crazy how fate in a butterfly effect, man. Yeah, I. I that see that it's this is such a played out trope, but would you go back in time, right, and stop that if you could? That, sure. That it's hard, so hard to, like, you can speak about that, so you can't really change it. You know, Henry Tandy didn't shoot shoot the gun, um, but what if there was a time machine and <laughs> someone made him not yeah. shoot the gun? <laughs> and I also like, know those variables are intermixed. I don't know what you believe, Jeffrey. Do you believe in that um, things in the course of history can be changed? on a split second decision or do you believe that like say if he did take that shot say he did get rid of hitler right then and there like would there um, be another version of hitler yeah what would have the ripple effect been would there still have been some sort of thing even though it wouldn't be the same right like Um, would evil come about because evil is evil rather than right was designated by that one man i mean i honestly yeah it wouldn't have happened i i I think if he was gone, obviously World War Two wouldn't have happened in the way yeah. that it happened. If there right. was a war, I don't, I don't think it was you know predestined. So that's that's weird to me to think about. Um, I can't I can't imagine what history would be. Yeah. Um, and what that alternate timeline looks like, um, where Henry Tandy, um, yeah, took, took the shot. shot, which is wild. Yeah, it's just crazy how like how you can be experiencing life and within seconds 
within seconds, you're making a choice between millions of people. Like he had no idea. No one had any idea. Like there, there was no, there's no way to know that about your life. There's a good philosophical thought about that, which we've discussed off podcast quite a bit um, at different times. But the the thought of um, both, which are equally terrifying, either everything you do in life matters or nothing you do in life matters, right? Like that that thought is really intense and that plays out there, right? That microcosm event of him not firing that gun mattered. It mattered enough for obviously history to change. And so... Um, yeah, it just, uh, it's so, such a hard topic to be like, oh yeah, he should have took the shot, but oh no, for sure. You know, I I don't know what I would have done either. Looking back at what was to follow, of course you would, but Mm. it's just one of those things that like no one knows in the moment that you're living, like how much, how much your actions affect the future. Yeah. Like how one man's actions affected this future. Yeah. Positively um, and negatively, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. There's, a, there's a yin and a yang to it, of course. But wow. So that I knew we were heading to something. I knew we were <laughs> heading to a yes. to a line, to a to a gut punch, to a to a twist of sorts. So um, So Henry Tandy was known as the man who did not shoot Hitler. Um wow. and apparently is all over the internet as such. You can do your own research on this as well. There's a couple debates on it, but like I'm gonna go farther into um Hitler even commented on Henry. You're kidding. No. That's what I have. What did he say? Up. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So if that's what Tandy I'm <laughs> That's what I'm that's saying, what man. I'm saying. I, I got this for you. That's why I'm here. That's why okay. I brought this up. <laughs> if if Tandy would have pulled that trigger that day. The entire world's history would have been different. Right. The rise of Hitler in Germany in the 1930s resulted in the Second World War and eventually a three-decade Cold War between them and two superpowers of the world. Um, a photograph that appeared in London newspapers of Tandy carrying a wounded soldier at Ypres, I believe is how you pronounce it, in 1914, okay. was later portrayed on a canvas and a painting by an Italian artist, um, glorifying glorifying the allied war effort as the story goes when british prime minister nelville chamberlain traveled to germany in 1938 to engage hitler in a last-ditch effort to avoid another war in europe he was taken to a his new country retreat in barvia uh Bavaria, sorry, Bavaria. Bavaria. Yeah. Um, also, I, I know this. I know this um, moment pretty. Uh, there's a good video of Neville before he gets onto the flight, oh, and, really? and it was. It's known as like he was going here to try to stop, obviously, to a last ditch effort or to yes. to be told something. And I think, if I remember right, he, Hitler kind of was like kind of said yet, yeah, like basically um, muddied the waters and and made it um, a bit. Like oh like he he thought that Hitler was gonna like okay yes we kind of we came back with a deal or, of some sorts um, gotcha. if I remember correctly I could remember wrong but I do remember there's a video of Neville waving to get on the plane if I remember correctly um, yeah in one of the documentaries I've seen so so that's a big here moment. here is where it gets where you hear those comments so when he was taken to that retreat there Hitler showed Chamberlain a copy of this painting and he commented on it to him and there are quotes where he says, that is the man who nearly shot me. Hitler told Chamberlain the soldier had pointed the gun at him but spared him, that the man came so close to killing him that he thought he should never see Germany again. 
Mm. Hitler that that is actual quotes that Hitler is allegedly to have said. Mm. Um, he also said, "Providence saved me from such devilish, devilish, accurate fire as a, as those English boys were aiming at us." Wow. Um, or is a quote. Yeah, that's insane. Recognized yeah, so he, by Hitler that that basically that he almost died that day at that moment. Right. Um, right. Now there's there's a couple like um, little discrepancies there where which I'm going to get into but there's a lot of speculation between historical communities about this legend. Okay. Some believe it might have happened but then Hitler took it as propaganda. So right. it's very possible that like with his godlike self-perception um the story added to his own myth. Right that, that he, he had been death that he had been spared for something greater or right. that this was somehow chosen. Right. Um and of course this story embellished his reputation nicely. Right. Um so that was also a big thing throughout his life. But yeah, Henry was also quoted later in 1939 edition of um, the Herald as of saying, according to them, I've met Adolf Hitler. Maybe they're right, but I can't remember him. Yeah. Um, wow. Which says something yeah. about his experience and his, his duty. Like he must have seen a lot, you know, which is wild. Right. I, I did look this up as well. It looks like he was the most decorated Um, war vet of world war one he achieved the highest award for gallantry in the face of the enemy that can be awarded to the british and commonwealth forces Um, right so the victoria cross which is right um so like but just thinking about this as well like can you imagine being the most decorated soldier in such a grueling war and experiencing all these things for so many years and then had the storyline not be your accomplishments in that. Or at least have that be nagging at it. Um, sure. That the, the, the story is he, he should have, or almost, or, you know, slim chances could have stopped it. Yeah. Which is yeah. wild. Like if it was a myth, it haunted him for the rest of his life. People thought that this happened. Like even if, if it didn't. I would be curious to Google, and this is again part of this podcast. And the thing I love about this is, I'm now I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go on Google and try to find maybe if there's a later interview with him and later in life. Yes, um, I would love to see kind of how he dealt with that, or if it was a thing he could put behind him, you know, um, yeah. and how that maybe affected him going through the rest of his life. Because it looks like he lived until 1977, so he saw mm-hmm. a lot of change in between now and then. I just. I'd be curious, um, I would be curious to kind of see or hear what, um, or how he dealt with that. Yeah, I definitely found a couple books on Henry Tandy's life mm. that people had written. Um, so there might be even more details into that. So if you're interested in this story and like deep diving into like super, super detail of his full, um, account. all his efforts in the war and yeah. his account, um, there are books out there. I, I read a little bit of, a little bit of and research for this. Uh, but not the full thing. And I would definitely go check those out if I were you. Um, But yeah, we have a couple more quotes from Tandy. Um, Perfect. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. A few more quotes from Tandy. And yeah, this has been good, man. I've, I've really enjoyed this. Well, thank you. Uh, Yeah. It said, but a year later he appeared to be more certain when a journalist approached him on the outside of his um, bombed Coventry home, asking him about his alleged encounter with Hitler. So his quote was saying, if only I had known what would turn out to be, Tandy Mm. is quoted as a saying, when I saw all the people and the women and children he had killed and wounded, I was sorry to God that I let him go. Wow. Um, The newspaper seemed to say it all. Um, Nothing Henry did that night could ease his sickening sense of guilt. 
there was a stigma that Tandy lived with this until his death. Oh, wow. Okay, well, He could have stopped this. (laughs) He could have changed the course of history. Um, Henry Tandy, of course, received the Victoria's Cross, the highest award for gallantry in the face of the enemy that can be awarded to a British and Commonwealth forces. Um, He was one of the most decorated heroes of World War I. And in 1977, Tandy died childless at the age of 86. Wow. So I guess that sort of answers my thoughts um, that it was a consistent plague or thought, at least from that account or that sure. um, paragraph or that article. Wow. The heavy stuff, but really interesting story, really interesting guy. Um, it does kind of make you think about, again, in this small per small effect that you have, and I know this is no comparison, but it just makes me think about that thought um, deeper, right? The, of course. My one act of kindness could potentially sway something in a, a positive light rather than a, a negative light for anybody. And again, we're talking about high stakes here from <laughs> World War One, World War Two, life or death. But I distill that down. And again, in, in the, the world that we are in, in now, um, how to take that lesson. So interesting. I- I completely agree. That's where I was going with it too. I was like, not to get all cheesy and soapboxy, yeah. But like, I it really does make you realize that your your small acts and stuff that you do in life, like that, like doing good deeds and stuff like that, really do like could affect and hang other things in the balance that are important. And you just never know. And we'll we'll never never know if he met him on the on the war front that day. Like, we will never know. He will never know. Officially, Um, right officially so the if that's the goes. truth but it's still something that made him you know obviously until he died it was something on his mind so it's just always good to have that in mind when you have those moments of choice in your life to try to make the best one you can at the time all right cool man well that's uh our first like podcast back yeah thanks so much for sticking around thanks so much for um continuing to listen and follow along so we'll see you guys next time Right.